You are listening to the Gate 7 International Podcast, a podcast connecting Olympiacos fans from Melbourne to Baltimore, from London to Piraeus. We are four Olympiacos fans from every corner of the world, bringing you news and interviews of the team you love in English. With new episodes twice a week, you'll never lose the latest updates and stories of the team you love. This is our team, our city, and our land. Man, Oniro Trello. You're listening to the Gate 7 International Podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Gate 7 International Podcast. Going duos today. Just Lambro and I, no Costa, no Peter. Um, but uh, they'll be joining us most likely tomorrow for the pre-match. And, of course, our special guest today, Coach Philip Vonk from the Libyakos DC Academy, Technical Director and Head Coach of the UPSL team. Philip, how are you doing today? I'm fine. Kalispera from uh, Washington. Kalimera is morning, right? Kalispera is evening? Kalispera is evening, right. We're more going in that direction right now. No, I'm great. And um, I know we were playing a bit phone tag before and uh, trying to make this happen for a long time. I'm very excited and happy that it finally worked out and that we got together now. Yeah, we're very excited as well. And hey, listen, that little bit of phone tag, it wasn't without reason. You were in playoffs. Yeah. Very important stuff, and and a place that was really far away. I think you mentioned it was like fifteen fifteen hour trip for uh, Lynchburg, way and back with a game in between. So it was yeah. a four and a half <laughs> ride. Um, yeah, and our bus driver we gave we gave him a good tip, I think, because he made it. I think in three and a half the way to the game. So. <laughs> Oh, man, that's incredible. Uh, all right. Well, before we get started, guys, obviously, same old. We're going to get through some housekeeping items first. Uh, so tomorrow, we brought this up on social media. We didn't have an episode on Thursday, but we're going to be doing some pregame tomorrow with a correspondent from Nefti Baku in Azerbaijan. We're going to cover their team, do a little bit of pre-match for that uh, for that matchup. Um, as always, guys, a HEPA. If you are looking to defend Hellenism, do some fundraising for Greece and the motherland, check out your local chapter, see how you can get involved, see how you can meet other Greeks and do just fun stuff with Greek people in general. Uh, and lastly, thank you to our sponsor, Paris International. Paris International has been sh helping Greeks ship to and from the motherland during COVID-19. Shipments to Greece are going out from Baltimore, Maryland every month. Fill any large U-Haul box, 18 by 18 by 24, and send it to our friends in Baltimore, and it will be shipped to the Port of Piraeus for only $50. Better yet, fill any large wardrobe box and send it for $100. Give our friends a call at 410-675-4696 or send them an email at sales at piraeusintl.com. All right, so just before we get into the interview, we just had a couple of news items. And the first thing, Coach, I wanted to get your opinion on this because there was a huge announcement uh, by FIFA. Uh, for those of you that don't know, FIFA has a competition called the Future of Football. It's the Future of Football Cup. It is a youth competition that they do to test out new rules and new things that they are thinking about doing for the, for the professional stage. And they have some big changes that they want to make for international football or international soccer. Uh, the first change, they want to the reduce the time of the halves. Instead of 45-minute halves, they want to do two 30-minute halves. 
they want the clock for the game instead of the ref keeping time and then adding stoppage time, just stopping the clock. Anytime the ball goes out of play, anytime there's an injury, so on and so forth. Unlimited substitutions. They want teams to be able to make tactical subs whenever they want. Throw-ins, played with feet. So if you've played futsal, it's kind of like that. No, not, you're never using your hands in this game. And lastly, instead of a yellow card just being a caution, the yellow card, they want to be a five-minute suspension. So the player can't enter the field for five minutes. So really quickly, Coach, what do you think of these changes? Do you think this will ever make it to the professional stage? I mean, I feel like we're talking ice hockey here. Like, yeah, that's I, or I, basketball. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm a complete traditionalist. I, I think, and and you could see what's behind these ideas. Like having shorter halves basically brings in more games in a week. Yeah, my profit is this commercialization is is one thing. I it's it's the same with the Nations League and the changes they suggested there. So I'm I'm strictly against. I would really call myself in that sense a traditionalist. Um, unlimited subs like you don't have any game flow anymore this is basically what what you see in college soccer here college soccer is like dup, 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 dup. there's there's soccer is like water it's never static if you, if you see college soccer and this is what they have unlimited subs um if if you if you saw the best teams playing in there this has nothing to do with our sport that we love it's basically like bringing on guys for 15 minutes they they run until they drop then bring on the next guys, the next guys, and it's subbing, subbing, subbing. I think it steals a lot from the game, and I'm I'm totally not a friend of that. Yeah, Lambro. Uh, yeah, same same thought as well. I just um, I know they've been talking about this thing with the the yellow card as well. Like I think the Chiellini tackle in the final is like the best example. It's like it's not a red card; it's a yellow card, but it's like. There should be a heavier punishment. I know people have been debating a lot about that, but the whole 30 minutes, the uh, unlimited substitutions, how does that work? Can people come back on as well? Is that yeah, how that works? That's the idea. I don't Just love that. Back and forth. I don't love it either. Look, I, I am probably a traditionalist as well. And yeah. uh, I know I know that Florentino Perez has said that ratings have gone down because the youth aren't interested. Their time, their, I should say their attention span is more limited. And they're not as interested in football because it takes up more time and their their attention span is like here. And the if they're trying to model this after sports, other sports like more like American sports, it's not like American sports are on the up and up either. They have been on the decline as well for esports. Esports are going up. So I I don't think they should be modeling this after any American sport because they're they're not exactly doing too well either, and viewership has been either stagnant or steadily going down as well. Anyway, I'm going to hope that this never happens, but uh, just some information for everybody. Uh, many of our audience already had a lot to say on social media. We're not huge fans of this idea. The second point of news, uh, guys, after that incident with Galatasaray, it ended up becoming a diplomatic incident, an international incident, where Turkish players, or I should say players from Galatasaray, were not allowed into Greece because they would refuse to do the rapid test. They had done a test prior within, I think, a 36-hour period, which is what the rules are, but the Greeks wanted them to do a COVID test, a rapid test, and they wouldn't do it. Well, 
guess what? They had two players test positive for COVID. And we had a lot of people getting upset with the Greek government saying that they did this on purpose. Well, it looks like they had a reason. They maybe knew something we didn't. So I guess thank you guys for doing your due diligence. And our players didn't catch COVID as a result. Um, so now that that's over with, let's get into it. Let's get into the meat, the, the meat of the podcast, the reason everybody's here. Uh, and we're going to start with, uh, coach Phillip. Let's get some background. How did you start with your career in football as a player? When did you start and, uh, where did you start? My players would probably say he can't remember anymore because he's so old already. Um, <laughs> I think I was three, two and a half or three when I first met with the kids and it was like back in the days you're meeting with your friends in the neighborhood. We kicked a ball around and one day one mother just came and said, um, your, your friend, I don't know if it was Christian or whoever, said he's joining a soccer club and, and don't you want to come as well? And I remember going there with him and we trained with much older kids. I must have been three or four. And I remember coming home and I never wanted to do this again. I just loved playing. I loved being with my friends. And I was in a in a kind of competitive atmosphere as a very, very young kid. And I remember not liking this at all. And I think I set out for one year after this and just played with my friends in the backyard. And then when I was five, I joined the club that was back in the days feeding into Borussia Dortmund. We didn't have this whole academy system in Germany. This just came after, I think, the big disaster in 2004. For, for Germany, big disaster. For Greece, I think the biggest moment ever at the Euros. Um, and Dortmund didn't have an academy at the time. So I was playing for TSC Eintracht Dortmund back in the days and really learned to love the game over there. I had very, very good coaches at a young age and um, carried it on from there. Unfortunately, and a bit before the show, Ari and I talked a bit and we share a bit the same, um, the same destiny with our knees. So um, my left knee basically gave up when I was 18. I had four surgeries in there and it, it was basically the same. Like, cartilage damage, all ligaments were torn. And when I was 18, I was basically making a choice. Uh, I was telling the doctor, and I remember that, my, my knee was big as a soccer ball. And I was lying in hospital and I told him it was Wednesday after practice. And I said, hey, I have a game on Sunday. This, this has to be working on Sunday. And the doctor was just looking at me and said, like, if you are able to walk again, in your life without pain if you can ever jog again you you, you can be thankful um of course this took quite a while to sink in this thought not a happy year afterwards a lot of re-education uh, re rehabilitation rehab yes yes that's correct don't 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 mind vocabulary my my players are always making fun because i'm using still some funny words after two and a half years <laughs> um and yeah, and when, when I was 18, I, uh, my, my former club back then offered me to coach a youth team when I was 18. And I already had my first coaching experiences with 15, 16, because our high school coach left in the middle of the season. And I was kept on our high school team and I basically took over practices. I didn't really have a clue what I was doing. 
but I think the guys had fun. And when I was 18, I picked it up a bit more and I did my first coaching license and I actually trained in under 14. And this is how the whole process started. And initially I wanted to study sport and sport development and wanted to go into journalism. So basically what you guys are doing, I think it's amazing by the way. Um, after my knee injury, I ended up uh, studying law and going to law school and becoming a lawyer. So I was actually part-time coach and, and full-time lawyer afterwards. Uh, it's a fantastic background. Lovely, lovely story. Now, uh, so you, you very young also, you started very young coaching. That's incredible. Now, give us a little bit of an idea. Um, so you started coaching, you were doing this part-time. Now, what brought you to the U.S. for, for coaching? What brought you to Olympiacos, D.C.? So, uh, how, how long is your podcast going? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think, I think I come with a short version. Um, 2014, when it was basically Germany's best moment in the, in the, in the younger past, um, when they became world champion, I had another incident with my knee, or this time it was the other one. And I used the time afterwards in the rehab to make my UEFA coaching licenses. And I trained a very high ranked under 19 team in Germany. And I was basically searching for, for the next challenge in my life. And four years ago, or three and a half years ago, my life pretty much turned upside down. I reconnected with my former exchange student and I was a guest in her house in 99 when I was 15 years old. So I was an exchange student from Germany in America. And we reconnected three and a half years ago after 17 years, a little, there was a little gap in between. We sent handwritten letters, we, we emailed afterwards, then Facebook came. So we were always in touch, but it was basically pen pals. And then we reconnected after 17 years and it basically hit me. So I'm, I'm married to my former exchange student today. We have a little son together and this is why I live in the wow. United States. And I started here, uh, the, first, the first year was actually pretty difficult. I felt like a fish out of the water. So I, I was used to have soccer in my life five, six days a week. I was out there nearly every day. I was still playing myself. I mean, in a <clears throat> pretty much amateur league and that where, where my knees could still carry me. But I, I was used to having this pack life, to be with the guys all day, to be with my youth team. And then from, from 100 to zero, I was in America and I didn't have this surrounding anymore. So I was searching for opportunities. I was reaching out to so many clubs. I tried to understand the system here. I mean, Ari, you, or you guys might be a bit more familiar, but when people try to just explain me the pyramid of American soccer or where the, what this league is, what this league is, um, it was a very rough beginning. It was very difficult to get into it. Many teams didn't even answer and I sent in my credentials and then over a common friend, I met the former assistant coach of Howard University. And he brought me on there. I spent one season with the Howard Bisons, which was amazing. Many of my players right now at Olympiakos are basically Howard-based, and are students at Howard University still. And 
after that, I just wanted to coach at a higher level. And I ran over the Olympiakos DC website and read about their philosophy. And what was frustrating, of, I think you already heard it when I talked about college soccer, seeing the level of playing here, seeing the game IQ of some players, you have in the United States, you have fantastic athletes, like insanely, insanely great athletes. But the game IQ was very, very low. Tactically, the, the level was very low. And I searched really for a challenge and wanted to build that up somewhere. And when I stumbled over the Olympiakos DC website, they basically said, we don't just want sprinters, dribblers, athletic guys. We, we want the complete package. We want smart players. And I was, this, this basically talked to me. So I reached out to Harry Karadroch, the president of Olympiakos. And we met, we had a nice lunch. We talked for a long while about soccer. I think our first phone call, when I just wanted to introduce myself very briefly, was going on for 90 minutes afterwards. And we oh. were talking ideas and it was great. And starting with the youth teams there, we really tried to establish a different style of play. And then I think in August 2020, middle of the pandemic, two of my former um, college students approached me and said, coach, we would love to play for you again. How can we make this possible? How can we work? And maybe UPSL could be a possibility, which is fourth tier in America. And I said, yeah, let me get into it. Let me look into it. And I proposed, I pitched the idea to Harry to have a UPSL a senior team. Because what is also missing in the United States is um, you phenomenal in Europe, you have your academy teams and they're under 19. And when they're under 19, they go to the seniors. Here, you're basically done. You finish with your under 19, you can go to college or you play in a league somewhere. And, and, and this is it. And so I said, if, if we want to attract like highly qualified players, age 17, 18, I want to give them a perspective. We basically need a semi-professional team on the top of the whole pyramid. And maybe later we can, we can talk about plans for the future because we would like to even lift this whole project to a complete professional level next year. And this, this was basically the approach I took with Harry. And Harry was fantastic. Uh, we, we got some good people on. Um, my two captains of the UPSL team were the players that approached me back in the days. And they reached out to everyone. They brought on more players and then more players were attracted by tryouts. So this whole project basically grew out of nothing. And the initial idea was in August. On, on December 3rd last year, we were all standing on the, on the training field together and had our first practice together. And it's, it's just crazy thinking back of how, how fast this all went and that the first season now is basically done. Yeah, it's remarkable. I remember when the team was first announced, and then in December, I'm hearing about UPSL. I'm like, oh my God, they got a team together that fast? And then when you were competing, I thought, surely the team had just come together. It's so quick. There's no way, you know what I mean, that a lot can happen in this first season. And much to my surprise, and of course, my happiness, I should say, it they did well. Now, we're going to get into that, of course, as well. But now that we're already on the topic of you coaching Olympiakos, give us give us some of your your 
we we use the same thing with uh, Coach Yanni and with Harry Kara George. The the your core tenants, your primary focus as a coach. You know what what are your focuses for your players in general? So I already said we establish a different style, and it, it got mixed up a bit. I, I want to get away from long balls. I want to build up on the ground. I need very very smart players. I need players that have an insanely good decision-making. Um, we, we always talked about transition periods from box to box. We always wanted to be in the range of like 10 to 12 seconds. And that means when, when, when you build up and when, when you overplay the midfield very quickly without using long balls, the players always have to know like three steps in advance where the ball will go, where someone will move. And you need like an immensely good awareness for that. And in my daily training, I basically always implement life kinetics. This is one thing we already talked about as well. Um, I work a lot with their vision, which might be completely strange to an older generation of coaches. Like we're doing some drills on the field where sometimes people walk by and they're looking at us like, uh, are you okay? You're doing good? I say, yeah, we're, we're fine. We're awesome. We're great. Um, but it basically, Johan Cruyff, framed it very very well they asked him why are you so quick back in the days he said like i'm not that quick i'm just running there earlier than anyone else and this this is what what i asked from my players i i want them to be 100 percent aware over 90 minutes and i want them to see the whole the whole game and i always tell them when you're watching soccer don't follow the ball anymore because what i saw when i came here what was like in insane um, you, you see 22 people on the pitch and you see one ball and you see all of their heads just following that one ball. It's very, very rarely that they're checking their shoulders. I told them the top players at top level, they check their shoulders like four, five, six, seven times before receiving a ball. They're basically, Julian Weigel, who played for Dortmund, who's now at Benfica Lissabon, was always my best example um, because he has brown hair and he had always had a very pale face. So even from far away on the pitch, you could always see like, this change when he was like, he was always like a chicken and always moved his head all the time. And I basically told my players, see, see the whole, see the whole thing and, and, and recognize the whole thing at each moment in the game. And I think many of them got a different angle on the whole game and understood it very differently afterwards. And what I said before, we, we had fantastic athletes seeing these fantastic athletes becoming smart soccer players and then seeing this whole thing coming together and having a moving organism on the field where everyone knew like the the right back knew when the ball is at the at the left winger he exactly knew what to do he, he knew where to move in he he saw how, how spaces were opening up another thing i always tell my players don't play in spaces that are open play in spaces that will open up anticipate that so, sorry, very long answer. I love my job. <laughs> I love talking about it. Um, it's, bas it's basically creating smart players is, is, the, is, the biggest, uh, is the biggest goal. And this is basically what we want to do with Olympiakos Pirios here. That's great. I, I, I have actually a question about the coaching badges. Is this something that you learn through these classes. I think a lot of people hear, oh, a coach is going for his badge. Can you explain what that means? Is Are these things you're taught through UEFA? Is this things you're taught through clubs? Like, 
first off, what are the badges and where did this philosophy come from? Did it come from your, your working for a club? Um, each coach has their own philosophy. Like when you do the UEFA coaching licenses, of course, you will learn about psychology. You will learn uh, the, the German UEFA licenses go very, very deeply into tactics. Which, which I loved, which is absolutely my, was, was my favorite there. Um, you learn about training methods. And, but, but for me, this came from, from a completely different side. We had, in this coaching licenses, we had a guest. Um, and he was the coach of the German track, field, track and field team. So he didn't, he didn't come, come out of a soccer environment. And he gave us one drill. He had like cones in different colors and you basically had a row and you always had to jump with your feet to the cones. And then he said, first one, you jump with your foot to the cone and you lift your arm on the opposite side. Then when you go through it again, you do exactly the opposite, but you had to work with your whole body and the cones had different colors and the colors afterwards were giving you different tasks and you had to do perform different tasks afterwards according to the color of the cone and basically it just worked with your information processing and it was mind-blowing for me and i i got in touch with that maybe when i was 30 so it's it's a few years ago now um and i i got deeper into this and i adapted this into my practice and um what what i have on my instagram basically most of the drills i developed myself afterwards and you always create your own philosophy, I think, of many things that come together. And the style we are playing with the boys and how we're training, I think it's very unique. And I was lucky to uh, look over the shoulder of other coaches. And I took a lot from that, but I think it's, it's never the same. It's like, and, and one very important thing is what you can never underestimate, which I completely underestimated when I was a player and not on the coaching side, is uh, Guardiola said it very nicely. He said 70% of the whole job is communication. And having your tactics, teaching your players, bringing them in a certain direction, yes. If, if your players don't go out there and want to play for you, if, if they, they don't feel that, if they don't feel respect and love for their coach, and if they don't want to go out there, you, you, you basically have a problem as a coach. And you need to create this atmosphere around them. You need them to bond. You need... It's, it's kind of a brotherhood. It's kind of a family. And when you have this feeling on the team and everything else comes together, then you basically have a successful team. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. You brought up a couple really good points. And I want to touch on, actually... Uh, two things before we really get into uh, the the life kinetic stuff. And uh, oh, from uh, Kyron's P82, this is actually one of our friends from the Football Kendron podcast. Uh, it's an Armenian football podcast. Key points right there, valuable words. Uh, thank you so much for the comment. Uh, but Coach Philip, so the you brought up the 12 second transition. The you were discussing getting the ball, moving the ball forward, and getting it into the opposite end of the field in 12 seconds. Uh, the that is an amazing feat because I don't think a lot of people that maybe haven't played the game don't realize how difficult that is to get the whole field there and not kick the ball up and, and have good possession in doing so. We're talking a lot of one touch, a lot of pass and move requires a lot of coordination. The pros make it look easy. 
But when you're playing with amateurs, not everybody has the same level of skill. It's very difficult to do, especially in the lower levels. And you brought up another really good point uh, in the U.S. The you know every, great athletes here always has been the case, and it's something that's commented on a lot by European clubs. But the vision is never there, or the vision is lacking in a lot of players. And I remember as a player myself, I never, you know, all the coaches I ever had, most of our practice, I was running all day. It yeah. was running. And then the the ones that were a little bit more advanced, it, we were doing some, you know, short, sh- you know, uh, short-sided like scrimmaging and like with nuances to that and working with some cones here and there. But when it came to like agility training and really things that made me focus on we'll say the thinking aspect of the game, the mentality of the game, the tactics of the game wasn't until I got involved with a foreign coach or my coach Yanni. And then that was all parts of the game. I didn't even realize, or I didn't even think about beforehand because that wasn't part of the game that we were taught here. So this was so important for me for those points that you made. Now uh, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, which uh, the life, the life kinetics, uh, that is very interesting. And we have gotten some messages in the past about that when we shared the Instagram videos. So give us a little bit more uh, specifics about some of the drills that you do for the life kinetics. I know you said kind of the purpose was, was working on here, working on uh, awareness, the ability to think, you know, in multiple facets, doing one thing while you're also doing another, something else, keep your mind constantly moving around. Uh, give us some specifics. What kind of drills do you do specifically with life kinetics? We've seen some where like the player is doing like the, what do they, what do they call those when you're putting your foot on the ball, but then you're uh, not, not uh, we used to call it, I think like Mexican hat dance back in the day, <laughs> but then they're juggling at the same time. Um, the, the, I forgot what that drill is actually called, but that's what we used to call it back in the day. To be honest, I have no idea where you are right now, but <laughs> it sounds great um i so i think you saw some of the drills i give you an example of our daily training for example Uh, so many teams many coaches start off their practice uh with rondos rondos yes every variation so oh coach philip real quick for the listeners that aren't familiar with those can you explain what a rondo is Oh, it's basically a um, few guys standing on the outside, passing a ball and one in the middle or two in the middle or three in the middle, try to chase it. And whenever they get it, the person who did the mistake has to go in the middle. It's, the, is- it's like the best defensive drill if you're playing FIFA 21 or a football manager. You do that drill. It's like the best to boost your defensive stats for the listeners that aren't familiar. <laughs> okay. So that, that very simply described. Um so what life kinetics do and what my training does, I try to overload my players in every practice, completely overload them, that basically the game afterwards is a walk in the park for them and is relaxing. What you also train with this is um, being resistant to stress. And on the example of Rondo, so I have players standing on the outside, passing the ball around, and then you can vary it, you say, you just take one touch or you say you just always combine. You take one touch, the next one takes two touches, one touch again, two touches, they are mandatory. So the players already have to like observe what they're doing. They need to see who touched it before me. Did he do one or two touches? I have to do the other thing. 
Plus, you know, if you have one touch, you have to play to a player that is far further out of pressure, that is not close to the player in the middle, because he needs more time on the ball with two touches. So you have to think strategically. Little example. Another thing in rondos, while playing the ball on the ground, I give them a ball in the hand, and they have to pass it on top, so two balls are going in there. The next is, while you have the ball in the hands and the ball on the ground, they get a red cone, they get a blue cone. They have to hand over the red cone whenever they are open and they can't hold it longer than four seconds. They always have to check their shoulders and give the red cone clockwise and the blue cone counterclockwise. So there are two balls going, there are the cones going, and then you afterwards tell them two objects can never be at the same player. So still, while they're playing with one or two touches on the ground, they have to anticipate when is this cone there? When is this cone closing in? When is the ball over there going? They have to always make themselves available. This is another thing that is very important for me is communication. So they always got to talk. Whenever they can help out, they're available for one of the objects to take it over. They got to check in. They got to come for it. Um, very big sickness in American soccer. And I, I don't want to talk bad about it or too badly about it. But uh, most players, and I always tell my players that on the field, they play a pass and they admire their work, what they just did. They're standing on the field and they're like, oh, wow, that was my pass. And I said, what did you do afterwards playing this pass? You were standing there, you were admiring what you did before. No, you move. You move out of space. You get into the next space. You bind the play, you open up the next space. And I, this is what I said, 90 minutes awareness and constantly keep them going. And we're even playing these rondos I would say sometimes over 20 minutes in the training and it, it's draining after a certain time because you really have to be 100% focused. The next thing we bring in, and I always tell the guys, if you don't learn to play soccer, at least you learn your little, your little multiplication with me. They have to say numbers. So each of their touch on the ground with the ball, the first one that passes it says three, the next one says six, the next one says nine, the next one says 12. And the player in the middle that's chasing the ball has one task. He has to chase the ball. Plus, he can put psychological pressure on them by shouting random numbers. So when they're still going through their numbers, the player in the middle is shouting, 16, 14. And you will see that the players really having to focus on all of these motorical skills, plus talking, plus thinking and anticipating. Um, the... The feedback I got from many of my players, I have, I have one player that comes from Texas. He said, after training with you and after going back to Texas and playing with my friends again, he said, everything seemed so slow on the field. Like everything seemed like it slowed down. And this, this is basically a good example of our daily training. There are hundreds of different drills and I always try to make practice as interesting as possible for my players. But this is just the example how to work with rondos. And it's so much more than just passing a ball around. And you can train so much more in this one moment. Yeah, they're they're incredible. I just the the few that I was watching, I was astonished. Because if I I know if I had to do those in practice, that would have been very interesting for me. I think one of the first videos I saw it was you had the player, he had two like smaller Small, they look like tennis balls, I think, and they were in his hands, and he was like switching them. He would like throw the, almost juggling, but like switching hands almost with the balls. So he would like throw both up and then have to catch them in the opposite hands while also passing a ball back and forth. Yeah. So that I love that. That seemed really fun. That, that is actually one of the very um, 
basic drills of live kinetic, but then combined with soccer again. And it's, it's basically triggering the information exchange between your left and your, your right brain and is strengthening the, the bridge in between the two brain hemispheres. Yeah, that, I mean, that's just incredible, incredible stuff there. I mean, uh, and it definitely has an effect because, I mean, the, the, the boys look great on the field. They look, they can see the vision's very good. They, they pass and move around. So I definitely think at the very least, they're taking some lessons from the life kinetics training at the very least. Lava, yeah. do you have any more questions for the life kinetics? No, it sounds amazing. I, I don't know that much about it, but so this really came from a non-football person that you, you got the life kinetics, you were first introduced that to, or is that something that you also saw in academies in Europe as well? Is that something that, that is a thing in Europe more so, or, uh, or not I so much? And I don't know how deep this goes, but Jurgen Klopp at Borussia Dortmund trained with that. Uh, I think it was with Felix Neureuter, who is, I hope, I hope skiing people won't kill me. I think I, I don't even get in the terms what he is, but he was a professional skier. skier. Um, and, You've got me. <laughs> so. And they, they invited him to a practice of Borussia Dortmund. And there's a video on YouTube somewhere where Mats Hummels is completely struggling and juggling balls as well and nearly falling on his nose while just walking. And you, I know Jurgen Klopp brought this into his practice because his, his style of football requires the same. His players have to be like 100% aware in every situation and they play such quick transitions over the field. And I know that the German national team implemented is this, this as well. But I, I can't tell you in which depth, because de depth, my favorite word in English, by the way, depth, my <laughs> other thing I just love when I say this, play into de depth. Um, I, I, because it all happens behind closed doors. So there's just a little yeah. advertisement and there, there are little videos on YouTube, but you, you don't know how, how deep they go into it. But again, again most, most of the program or nearly all of the program that you see on my Instagram, uh, this, this is what I designed myself, and I basically made it fitting for soccer, especially the rondos. And um, I have some great friends in Ulm, in uh, southern Germany. They're called Soccer Kinetics. And I was very happy to be the co-author in their last book. And there I basically described the rondos and described what I just told you guys and had a little part in their book. And this is something which I I haven't come across so far in my career. Well, now that we've kind of got a, gotten a glimpse of the philosophy, some of your, your training tactics, uh, now give us for the academy, uh, because you're not just the coach, obviously, of the UPSL team. You're the technical director of the academy itself. What is your short-term and long-term goals for the academy itself? So short-term is basically building up elite teams at the youth level and letting them play MLS next. What I'm very proud of and what one of my goals is, and um, I think for a coach, it's always the biggest honor if, if his players um, want to become coaches afterwards. And I want to recruit the next coaches for our youth academy out of our UPSL team. And I want basically them to take over responsibility to work with the same mechanisms that we installed in the UPSL team and work at a high level. 
a long-term goal and we are, is basically bringing this UPSL team into NISA. And this would be the next step. Like we're playing fourth tier in America right now. NISA would be third tier and this is already completely professional. And this is something where I hope that Olympiakos Greece is supporting us. And this will be definitely something for the future and creating an absolute program of excellence there and maybe cooperate with the college here as well to have their facilities. And this could also lead to a big play exchange that Olympiakos sends us players from Greece, from the U19 that play with us, maybe study in the United States. And there is a lot that we're talking about right now. And I'm really, really excited about the things to come. This is also a question that I asked Harry, but it, how, like, is that something also that you're considering how cool it would be to send a kid that you guys have trained off to Greece and see them play at a European club? Is that, is that also a goal that you guys are considering that one day one of these kids will reach Olympiakos, either the academy or, or even the professional team one day? I mean, of course, that should be the goal. I mean, we, we are a part of the scouting network and we want to create players of excellence and this would be the, the absolute goal, of course. Uh, already of my UPSL team, which I'm very proud of, one of my players signed in Greece in the second division with FC Santorini a week ago. So already these guys are, are going in other places right now. Four of my players are currently in, in Europe trying out for professional teams over there. I send to my, my good friend Mark Voller, who's the coach of Holzwicker der SC. I'm constantly sending him players over from our team so they could test their abilities in the fourth and fifth division in Europe, in Germany, and go on from there because... One thing that is also very remarkable, if you ask all of my players, all of these guys, what do you want to do in your life later? And they're, they're all studying, they're all doing their academics. But of, of course, 95% of them saying, I want to be a professional soccer player. And I think we have huge talent here and there. They were not really developed at a younger age. And especially when these kids play college, like the really smart and good players mostly get overseen because it's all about agility and the, the guys who actually would have the game IQ and the ability to go over to Europe, they are, they are not being developed as they should be. And this is another thing we want to lay a big eye on. And of course, like absolute dream. If, if you see a player one day in the jersey of Olympiakos FC that, that came from our DC Academy, that would be, that would be the absolute dream. Yes. We would love that. I, I would love that 100% to see the next uh, Peter Filipakos, as it were, the next American or even Greek-American kid, whoever it is, that can get over there and play. Now, uh, the, the next question I had for you is, um, f in terms of tactics, uh, I love tactics as well. It's one of my favorite parts of this game. Um, what is your, in terms of formation, what do you focus on? We know that the academy uh, in Greece, at least, Nikopolidis had told us they focus a lot on 4-3-3. What do you focus on uh, tactics-wise? Is it primarily 4-4-2? Do you throw other things in there? Do you make adjustments? So ba basically, it's just a lineup. Like These are numbers. It depends how you play it. And 4-3-3 could also be 4-2-3-1. It, it is a 4-4-2 when we're defending. Uh, it, it just depends on the position of the ball and uh, each moment in the game, what the guys are playing, how they're shifting in. 
So if, if you want to put it in very simple terms, we started off the season in a 4-3-3. We went back to a 4-2-3-1, which was way more successful, um, having more stability in the center. And playing against the ball, whenever we're out of possession, I'm defending in a 4-4-2. That means my 10 is dropping next to the 9. We always play, which is very, very untypical for an American team, is we're playing a midfield press. And m many teams say they're playing a high press here. I wouldn't even call it like this. They're sitting very high on the field, but they're not coordinatedly pressing. And we actually established a very, very well-functioning zone pressing in this season. And But we're coming really from a deeper midfield press. Also, since I have very, very fast, I had a very, very fast uh, first line, like my, my strikers had immense pace. And I always told them, if you're already standing out there, you're robbing yourself your biggest advantage. Like your advantage is your pace. And this means you got to pull them out, you got to lure them out, and then you got to come with speed behind their lines. Um, so our formation on the field was varying a lot according to the ball position and to the game situation. But in general, in general, to answer your question, four, two, three, one. <laughs> yeah. Well, the reason I asked that is because I watched. I was able to watch all of the games except for the very last one, the final. Yeah. yeah. And I noticed that. I noticed that on the. You know, you would have two midfielders sitting deep, and you would. It looked like you you were playing almost like a four-two-four at times because your wingers were pressed really high up sometimes with the with the with the two forwards and then you had two midfielders that were covering a lot of space there and yeah you were very fortunate there were a couple of guys that have some incredible pace uh on on your team and uh you're i actually i'm a huge fan of both of your midfielders by the way uh the ones that tend to start in most of the games i'm a huge fan of both of them now i was an i was an eight by trade when i played and so when i i love seeing i love seeing midfielders that especially are, are pretty good with the ball on their feet yeah no the guys are fantastic they're great um especially this is our second captain chris mcgann number 19 i don't know if you're talking about him yes yeah, he took he took a phenomenal development, and at, at college he wasn't even one of the starting players. He wasn't like really in demand there, and how he developed in the last eight nine months is breathtaking. You're joking? Yeah, you, this this is exactly the reaction I got a few times before. No, he 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 was not like definitely a starter at college, which is which is like a bad joke. And this is what we talked about before. These players with this high game IQ and with these fantastic abilities, they get overseen in the college system. Yeah, uh, because he's uh, unfortunately, I, I, I think that in some ways we've gotten better in the U.S. about this. But, you know, they still value sometimes the more physical player, the more athletic player than, say, you know, the one that can actually read the game well. And he's, he had some, over the course of the season, some incredible balls, through balls. I mean, just brilliant one touch as well he was one I, I i loved watching and then there was uh one of your center backs as well i, I think it is it i couldn't tell if it was 44 or 14 uh was another one that i thought could play really well out of the back was he was he always a center back or was he like a a, a midfield player by trade in the beginning that's an awesome question ari and a very very good observation number 44 is julian chaparino um mm -hmm. he basically came out of nowhere somewhere in february he ran on the training field and said like could i could i 
train with you guys? I said, like, of course. Like the guy, I said, why are you playing? What's your position? He said, oh, I'm a midfielder. I said, eh, no, you're not. I don't think so. Um, <laughs> my, this, this is maybe one of the biggest jokes in, internally in this team. Our back four over the whole season consisted out of out of two wingers. Like my my outside backs were basically wingers. I I did not have no. I had, I had one real outside back out of five who played this position the whole season. My centre backs, forty four Julian is a midfielder, and thirty two Roy is actually a striker. And we looked at them in practice and. In the beginning, I still had my, my assistant coach, Dominic, who is, uh, greetings by the way, he, his birthday was yesterday. He unfortunately moved back to Germany. And Dominic told me in one practice, he said, this, this guy is a center back. He's immensely good with the ball. He can break lines from the back. And he said, that, that's not a striker. I said, I totally agree. Same with Julian. And I, I don't know if he was too happy with me telling him that and putting him there in the beginning, but um, the, all, all these guys established themselves in these positions they were not really used to, and they, they did a fantastic job. Yeah, they, they really did. And that's, that's a, I mean, I, when I watched them, because I have to say, all the teams that you guys played, there was no other team that you played against, even the team that even Lynchburg, when you guys lost to them, no other team had center backs that could play the ball or at least have both center backs that could play the ball as well as they did. Uh, and that's why I was, especially with 44, I was like, this guy, the, the way he moves the ball, his confidence on the ball, he has to be a midfielder by trade because, the, you know, I don't, you don't see a lot of center backs that are at least that comfortable with the ball at their feet or even getting forward with the ball. So he's, he's very much, he, he played like a modern center back that can play with the ball at his feet and quarterback the team as it were in possession. Now we got a really good question here uh, from the OLB, our good friends at shoot the defense uh, apologies if already asked, but how difficult is it to hold on to promising players with MLS, uh, MLS and USL clubs and their own scouts searching the region for talent? uh terrible to be honest uh just in mm, just in the fall season the face of the team will change a lot because a lot of the guys are going back to college mm -hmm. and the other big part of them is going to europe is on a tryout here on a tryout there and this is basically the the biggest issue we have to fight with right now and we call it professional development team and it is a professional development team, which also implies that you have a lot of fluctuation with players. And this is one thing why I want to move up and I want to go to NISA and really give those guys an opportunity to play professionally with us as well. Because, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm from Dortmund, Germany, and you know what Borussia Dortmund is doing every year. They're getting young, super, super great talents. They're building them up. They become international superstars. And you know what happens? Boop, they're gone. So I already have to fight with this problem with my with my home club. Uh, I would love to change that with Olympiakos, and it's it's actually very difficult to to keep the talents if you don't offer them this opportunity to play professionally. And for the listeners that don't understand what NISA is, NISA guys is a it's one of the competing third division leagues in the United States. It's the National Independent Soccer Association. Uh, so it's one of the there, there's two of them. It's 
uh, I think Philip, correct me if I'm wrong. Is USL two is the other third third division league? No, it's uh, USL one. Like USL two is our level. This is UPSL level. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. That's right, that's right, that's right. So then it's yeah, my mistake. So it's you have uh, NISA and then USL one. So that's uh, that's kind of where they stand, and that would be yeah, that would be an incredible feat. But uh, guys, for the audience, as we discussed with Harry Kara George, unfortunately in the US the advancement from one league to another is not merit-based. It is uh, financially based. So it is something that's much more difficult to do because of that. Uh, and I guess while we're already on it, um, Coach, what uh, we've already been talking about the UPSL team as it is. So give us uh, an idea. What were your goals for the season for the, for the uh, UPSL team? Where did you guys think you would do and what were your expectations? So we uh, we did not officially announce it before, but my dream was basically reaching the playoffs in the first year, which is for a new team that, that finds together is already a thing. I did not really know the level of the whole league. I watched some games before, but it's always difficult. It's, it's different watching them somewhere on TV than being at the sideline afterwards and seeing the actual game speed. So we didn't have a big idea what we're getting in but playoffs were basically what we wanted to reach and then after four games we were standing there with one point and um which was pretty frustrating and i'm very happy the guys picked it up afterwards and it all came together very very well after that i will say this though you might have only come away with one point but it's not like the team was playing poorly you know what I mean? Some of the uh, – in the first couple of games, I think it was the first three games, you guys had a couple of breakaways. And, you know, whether it was the striker tripping or, you know, a bad touch for a finish, that's not – it's a little bit unfortunate, but the play was was decent. It was good. Some of the the end product maybe was a little bit lacking, I'll say. Uh, but, th but that continued to develop, and then – I'd say right about it was after I think the three nothing loss to was it Potomac or Germantown City FC? Uh, Lynchburg. That was the first Lynchburg game. That was the the three nothing was the first Lynchburg. Okay, yeah. Lynchburg. Sorry. And then at, so after that game it was like that game. Then the next one. Then the the wind started to come. We started seeing the play in the uh, the offensive third of the field was was getting much better. There were a lot more opportunities on target. Uh, so I, the, the play was good, but for a brand new team, the guys had to also get used to each other playing on the field with each other as well. And you saw that get put together as the season wore on. Uh, and I thought that was fantastic. So clearly the team, I would say, you know, if it's hitting where you dreamt of, they hit, they met your expectations with what you guys thought you could do. I mean, for me, it was well beyond what I expected. So congratulations. I think that speaks volumes so with what you've accomplished. No, uh, thank you. So now that the season's over, you guys made it to the finals, division finals. Next season, what are the expectations? Very difficult. I, I already heard you guys are recruiting for us right now. And everyone who's listening right now, we can, we need, uh, we need new blood in our team. We need young players. Uh, a lot, again, a lot of the guys are going back to college. We have a lot of guys who are trying out for other teams. We will still have a very strong core, I think, for next season. But we, we need new players right now and we need to develop new players. 
in November, most of the guys are coming back. So next spring season will be very, very strong again. But for this fall season, I think the development aspect has to be like the first goal that we develop some players that will help us in spring season. If, if we make the playoffs again, that would be absolutely fantastic. But I think it's, it's, it's a bit further away than it has been this season. It will be a bit more difficult. Uh, another question from our friends at Shoot the Defense. Is it a disadvantage being based in an area where football isn't as popular as, say, Texas, where Dortmund and Liverpool both have academies? I wouldn't say soccer is unpopular in this region. I, would, I'm, I'm act, I was actually surprised how many people are following it, how many people are completely invested in it. Uh, first coming here, I, I, I was really like overrun and you have so many clubs, you have so many organizations, you have so much passion in this area, like the DMV area is actually a great place to be if you, if you want to develop something in soccer. Yeah, actually, yeah, I would but, point out yeah. my old club is now Baltimore Bays. They're a Chelsea uh, academy now, or Chelsea affiliate, I should say. Yeah, and just locally, like football's a bit. It's a it's a bit of an immigrant community as well. So there's like quite a few Europeans, uh, Latin American, South American. So I always felt in the DC area there was a strong, even like following club football in Europe was a was a big thing. And I actually have a different question, Coach. I, I asked this to to Nicopolidis, who kind of is the academy head. And I wanted to ask you, I essentially asked him, let's say you're a young kid, 18. I said, as a Greek kid, would you go to the States and play college f football to, to develop? Or would you stay in Europe? I'll, I'll change the framing of that. Like, let's say you have an 18-year-old kid and he's asking you, I'm trying to take the next step. I want to be a professional footballer. Would you tell him, if you're serious about this, you should just go to Europe. You should skip the college step. Because we spoke to Peter Filipakos, who was the first Greek-American to play for Olympiakos, and he said, college football was a waste of my time and maybe even made me worse. I wish I didn't even do it. So is what would you say to someone like that? Would you recommend that they, they play college ball? I mean, if you want to meet some nice people and if you want to have like a good time, play college soccer if you want to become pro and work on your career stay the hell away from college mm. yeah because right now the environment is not fitting i would love to return to college one day and this is one of of my goals i would love to take over a team as a head coach one day but i'm not very happy with the circumstances right now and you see a lot of coaches in there that are abusive with their players uh, that have no idea about any tactics. And when you see college soccer on TV, it's like a constant struggle. It, it hurts. Like it is, it is a constant pain watching these games. And those kids are... I mean, I, I think he framed it very well. It, it basically makes you worse playing at college. If you want to go professional, stay away from it. No. Yeah. And what's interesting is because Nicopolidis' son plays for Georgetown. I don't know if he told you about, but yeah, it's quite I a famous that. case in the US. Yeah, yeah. I know that. I know that. Yeah. Any so maybe he can come play. Is he going to play for you guys? Like that? <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah. I mean, if, I, I, I don't know if, if you watched the final or the other games. We have on the goalkeeper position, we're very well set. We have a fantastic goalkeeper. Um, we had Andreas Tsaouzis who started um, 
Oh, that's not even true. Cameron started the first game. Our goalkeeper Cameron Mojadidi afterwards, he, he carried us through the whole season. And what is so funny, he goes to George Mason University and would be eligible to play for them. George Mason has no idea what they have because he says, I don't want to play college soccer. And he didn't, he mm. didn't want to play for college before. Um, I have a very good relationship with the coaches of George Mason and I suggested them take a look at this guy. And maybe Cameron is coming out there and will play for them, but um, he would have never been scouted by any college because he's five foot seven, which is insane for a goalkeeper, which is, I think, one meter 74, 73. Yeah, wow, yeah. And he's, he's super small. And uh, I, I told you about my um, assistant coach, Dominic, before. He was a goalkeeper coach, yeah. um, my friend from Cologne. And after the first practice, as I said, isn't he a bit short? And Dominic said, like, hell no, he's fantastic. And he said, in the States and even in Germany, you need to search for a very long time finding a goalkeeper that is this good with his feet. He's an absolutely playing goalkeeper. Um, this sweeper keeper phenomenon. We, we always had him there. My center backs always said they knew if we have him in the back, we can always play the ball around. We can make the game fast in the build up. Plus, he can even jump higher than I can stand, maybe. So there is there's no disadvantage with his size. Um, when when Nikopolidis is coming over, I mean, he, he can definitely bring his son over. I would never say no to that. But we, are, <laughs> we, we, we have an excellent, we have excellent goalkeepers on our team right now. And I'm very, very happy about that. I'm so glad you actually brought that up, by the way. Only because... Uh, we actually, when Vachlik signed for Libyakos, there were people complaining he was too short. And he's 188 centimeters, uh, six, almost 6'3". Six and I, I brought up to people because I, I follow statistics with football very closely. And I couldn't find any statistic that proved that one goalkeeper was better than another simply because he was shorter. I mean, look, Iker Casillas is regarded. I brought this up in the last podcast. Iker Casillas is widely regarded as a, a one of the best goalkeepers of all time, uh, a legendary goalkeeper. And he was barely six foot. He was five eleven. Uh, you know, I, there's a, a bunch of goalkeepers. If I if I take right now the top performing goalkeepers across Europe, actually a lot of them are under six feet, or at the very least, they're under one eighty five centimeters. But there's people seem to seem to be looking for that that Gigi Buffon, you know, the six foot four, uh, six foot four. That's 192 centimeters, I think. Is that right? Yeah. So they're look that, they're looking for 190 or more centimeters, and that's like that's that's the only goalkeeper you can have. So I, I'm very glad to hear that. Even though you have a goalkeeper that's a little shorter, he's extremely athletic and a very very good goalkeeper. And yeah, the goalkeeping for you guys this season was incredible. Uh, some fantastic saves overall. Uh, even though, even though you guys had some of the refs working against you on that last game, what was that that deflection off the top bar <laughs> that they let? For for some background for the listeners, um, uh, we didn't advertise. Uh, there was a, a cup. It, what was the cup called again? The Americans Cup, American. Yeah, cup? American Cup. But uh, Ari, this is. I have to drink four or five beers afterwards when we talk about this moment. <laughs> <laughs> so for some background for the audience, uh, Coach Vonk sent me uh, a video because we didn't really advertise the cup, even though the boys played in it. Uh, we didn't, you know, it wasn't something that was 
easily available for video to watch. So we didn't advertise it on the podcast, but a goal was allowed to stand that really shouldn't have stood in the United States. We tend to repurpose American football fields for use in soccer and or football games. So for those that don't know what that is, basically the goalpost is a repurposed field goal post as well. So instead of just having the, the goal be, you know, the two, the two that the two upright basically pillars and the, the crossbar at the top, there's a second crossbar that's about a foot and a half, almost two feet on top of that. And then another, you know, and, and that spans across. Technically, when you play in, or at least in every league I ever played in and that I've seen people play in, when you play on a field like that, that second crossbar, if the ball hits the second crossbar, it is supposed to be out and a goal kick. In this case, the ball hit off that second crossbar, kind of bounced back, but then had backspin and then bounced in the goal. And the refs gave that as a goal, even though it was it was supposed to be ruled as a goal kick. And the players stopped. They kind of when they saw it bounce down, they're they like, oh, OK, you know, it looked like they thought it was a goal kick as well. And it bounced into the goal and it shouldn't have counted. So that type of travesty, unfortunately, exists. And our refereeing in this country is pretty awful, I'm going to say. Uh, hey, you 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 can say it. I just wanted to say I don't want my I don't want to make already friends for next season in the UPSL. So I'm, <laughs> I'm leaning back, and this is completely you, Ari. Go for it. No, no, I, I can tell you firsthand. The officiating in this country is terrible. It terrible, terrible. I mean, I've I have friends that are referees, and let me tell you, when they go to get their licenses for things, I mean, if it's the different places you go get the license it seems like they teach different things because everybody seems to come out with the different a vastly different interpretation of different rules so i'm not going to go much more beyond that um but okay, as we I, begin I tell, to I, I tell you guys of my favorite moment in a youth game i've ever like this was my favorite refing moment ever uh one of their players was having a throw in he threw it in the field the ball went in the field and had spin and directly went out again 10 yards later and the referee gave them another throw-in from the point where the ball went out. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, in my next practice, I will teach all the boys just to throw the ball like, as far as they can. And we basically always have a corner kick afterwards, throwing the ball from there. And we basically Jeez. advance on the field by that. And that was really one FIFA of the will, when, when FIFA will use that example to change the rule for sure. They're like, we, <laughs> yeah. we can't be having these throw-ins anymore. <laughs> oh, my God. But my, assistant uh, coach, my assistant coach asked me back then he asked what, what did he just do and i looked at him and i just sat down on the bench and i didn't speak for the rest of the game anymore and i went home afterwards and it was it was insane but there were there were more of these moments uh we got we did get one more question before we begin to wrap up here uh our friends again at shoot the defense uh final question what motivational games do you enjoy using during training sessions? So what, what, what are your favorite motivational tactics to get your, to get your guys going in practice? Uh, that's a good question. And the answer is none. Because what is the, the best motivation is whenever the guys are competing, and basically in every practice you're competing in, in, in all of the drills somehow, uh, since the guys have such a great atmosphere and after practice they're going out together, they're going eating together, 
all of them are already trash talking in practice. It starts with a warm up. They're like, "Oh, Chris, you you lost the ball again, man!" Like, um, they 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 basically hype each other up in every practice, and you don't really have to motivate them. Each and every of our practices, and this is what I'm most proud of. We kind of created a family atmosphere around these players, and at every practice, you see smiling faces. And I say, this is yeah. the best environment they learn in. So the biggest motivation is that they're having fun. And of course, sometimes I get a bit louder with them, but I, 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 I want this positive dynamic in every practice. I want the players to come out and, and, and know, hey, in an hour there's practice and already smile and be like, I'm, I'm happy. This is my evening. This is what I want to do. So we basically worked on the motivational side every single minute in every practice and also around the team. Okay, I think I have one last question before wrapping up, Adi, if I can. Other than sending the players highlight tapes of Costas Fortunis to watch and Olympiacos <laughs> to watch. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> or is there any football league teams that you recommend the players to watch? Be like, okay, follow this team, follow what they do. They, they run a sound system. Is that a thing? I mean, I'm a bit biased, to be honest. I, of course, told my players to watch the old games from Borussia Dortmund when, when Klopp was coaching them, especially season 11 and 12. I loved their transition soccer. I loved their like switch of game. I loved the game pace. Um, still, I'm, I'm, I'm watching some Liverpool games. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge, and again, I'm biased, but I'm a huge fan of the German Bundesliga because it's way more tactic-based. The Premier League in England is, I think, more physical and a bit faster, has higher pace. But in the Bundesliga, there's like the, the, the plan behind it and the, the tactical plan is this, this is basically what I try to teach my players as well, like following these games. And again, don't follow the ball, but see the whole construct on the field. And what is also very interesting about uh, the, the German League is it's, it's yeah, take, take out Bayern Munich, but if if not like every team can win against every, every other team like it's very outbalanced yeah. and one final comment do you watch the mls at all what are your thoughts on on the football that's played at the professional level here in the, or in the united states um yeah no i'm not watching the mls fair don't feel bad i don't watch it either are you kidding i don't me? watch it either <laughs> I tried. It's sad to say. I, I, I tried. I tried. I tried to get into it. I was at one DC United game, and I actually met a player of them, and I had no idea who that is. Uh, he he stood next to me and I asked him, "Hey, so who are you?" And he said, "I was just playing there down on the field." I was like, "Oh, cool. Uh, for which team?" <laughs> 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 no, I'm 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 really. It's 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 hard to digest it's it's basically college soccer and mls are very hard to digest yeah i, I find the I same thing i see that you know yeah. it's bad it's bad i can't i've once in a while i'll try to like watch because we we now as we've started the podcast have some colleagues that watch and have players that they're they tell us that are pretty good that we should check out and it's just very tough i i can never sit through a whole game it, it's a lot of it's extremely ugly um it also could just be me being a little bit of an elitist but uh, so be it anyway uh now that we're getting ready to close up 
Philip, it's at this time of the podcast we give our guests one last chance to kind of, uh, you know, do a final message for the audience. Uh, if tell them where to follow you, where they can check out any other projects you're doing as well. And also one last question, if you're allowed to answer it, uh, the player that you said is going to be playing in second division Greece, can you tell us who it is so we can follow him next season? Um, if I tell you his name, his name is Nick Anguil Andriachi. So it might be difficult to, to get this <laughs> from the hearing. Maybe you, you, you write it down on your side. Um, he was a George Mason player before and also a good example for our shifting on positions. Uh, Nick was a midfielder and he came to me as a midfielder. I made a centre-back out of him and he applied for professional teams as a centre-back right now. And nice. I said, he, he, he was an average midfielder. He's a fantastic centre-back. And I can give you Nick's Instagram. Or maybe Lovely. you can like, put, put it on your side. Same, same for my project. I have, I have an Instagram page, uh, which is called Coach underscore Philip Wang, Philip Wang with my name. Maybe you can put it on your side if, if your listeners are interested in life kinetics because there's a lot, there's tons of drills on there as well and especially uh, drills I did with my Olympiakos players and yeah last message uh, we will be broadcasting our games again on I think now it's 11 sports it was my Kujo before yes and yeah. what I would love if we create since COVID is like hopefully running out and everything is getting better opening up I would love to really create an atmosphere in the stadium next season so we will most probably still play our games at Annandale High School on, on Saturday, our home games. And it would be great if we have a bigger audience and if people could attend. We have free admission. Um, donations are welcome, but everything else is free. Uh, come by, bring your family, have a great day over there. Cheer on Olympiakos locally, and we would be very, very happy about that. I so, know I personally I, will be going. <laughs> I know Adi's going to be going. I If I was still in the area, I'd definitely be going. But... I would need to to ask the high school if flares are allowed because I'm a bit uh, I'm a bit crazy <laughs> as they say. <laughs> oh no, no, that's absolutely welcome. Like we need we need. Okay. To on the, on the <laughs> oh, I, I it'll be in Greek since we're an Olympiakos team, but but the other team will be having it from from me and Peter maybe if if Peter comes in as well. I love that's it. Awesome. I love it. Yeah, I'll definitely go on there in IG Live myself. Uh, thank you again for joining us, Coach Philip. Uh, this was a fantastic, fantastic talk. Great show today. Uh, and guys, thank you for listening, especially if you made it this far. Uh, lovely interview. And we wish the the UPSL team, Olympiacos DC, the best moving forward. We're going to cover them a lot more closely uh, next season. Hopefully, I'll be able to make it to some games, do some IG lives. So you guys can follow along. Uh, but check, we'll be constantly updating with all of that content. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us. The audience is growing in a big way, uh, and it, we're getting noticed. The club is getting noticed internationally. So continue to help us do that and continue to give support to Olympiacos DC Academy because this is the future of Olympiacos. And we already have players from the, the academy that are moving all over the place. So great signs here. And we will love to do this again in the future. Take care, everybody. This is the Gate 7 International Podcast.
You just listened to an episode of the Gate 7 International Podcast, a podcast connecting Olympiacos fans from Brussels to Tokyo, from Toronto to Geneva. We are four Olympiacos fans from every corner of the world, bringing you news and interviews of the team you love in English. With new episodes twice a week, you'll never miss out on the latest updates and stories of the team you love. If you liked what you heard, make sure to follow us on social media at Gate7INTL. Give us a subscribe on YouTube or even leave a review on all our podcast channels. Until next time, this is our team, our city and our story. Trilos, he said. Στο μυαλό κάτι μαγικό.